0: Praise God. I want to share with you something today that has sort of been on my heart and mind. And it's amazing now that as we have sort of taken this turn over the last number of months, those of you that have been here, especially on the 945 session, have um, noticed that we have sort of, God has been challenging us at the 945 session, and we have. Uh, Sort of, I don't want to say looked at things uh, in a new light, but it's it's changed a lot, at least for me it has. And uh, when you start looking at something through a particular prism or through a particular lens, it begins to affect how you see a lot of other things. And even interpretation of scripture. It's very hard, I will say this. I know some try to do their best, and I believe that I try to do my best. But it's very hard to interpret Scripture with a completely open mind. Most people interpret Scripture because we interpret everything in our life through just who we are, our experiences, our, 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 our background. There's so many things that have to filter through. It's very hard to study the Word of God in a vacuum. And so that's why the Word of God is so powerful, because as God continues to change you, there are things in His Word that as He changes in you, you see in a greater light. It's not that the Word of God changes, but the revelation of the Word of God in your life begins to grow in different ways. And so because of that, we talked about this actually last uh, Sunday in in a uh, small group. It's very important that as we look at Scripture we look at the context of scripture. Context is everything. I said this uh, last Sunday, so allow me just because there's some that are not here today that weren't here last uh, Sunday morning for the discipleship hour. But let me just use this illustration. How many of you have ever been misquoted out of context? How many of you ever said, you know what? Okay, I said that, but that's not what I was meaning because that was out of context. Someone takes something you said in the entire course of a conversation and uses that small sentence or that small phrase or even possibly just a word and comes up with a large assumption and understanding of what you are as a person, what your beliefs are, what your core values are, uh, whether you're, you're this person, that type of person. Based off that word or that phrase or that sentence, without even seeing the full context of things. And so we are misquoted. I, I I feel, I say feel bad, that's not the right way of putting it, but it's got to be very frustrating for politicians and other people in public office because I believe that a lot of ways, sometimes the media has a way of, of taking things out of context. I remember when I was playing sports uh, my senior year, uh, we, we, we were we, we were a small school, and uh, we started gaining a little notoriety in the area because we were such a little school, and we had a pretty good team at the time. And so uh, we started having reporters come and uh, to our games, and they would interview us. And uh, I remember a couple of games after it we were done, actually, Brother Curtis over here was with us. He, they interviewed a couple of us. And I'll never forget, I was asked like a series of like 10 questions. And, he, and you know, I'm answering these questions, and I'm giving like, pretty long answers and he's writing it all down. I remember when the article came out, he used like three words of a, I'm like, I said that, but that's not what all I said. So when we're looking at scripture, we got to be understanding that there's a context to everything. So I want to look at a scripture that you probably have at least quoted or have paraphrased or have heard somebody say, but I want to look at the full context of it today because I think it will show us a different light. Two scriptures here. Before we get started, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And then two chapters later, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offings to of sacrifice obey as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than that the fat of rams. I want to ask you a question today. Why is obedience better than sacrifice? Why is obedience better than sacrifice? Samuel makes the statement that we just read and asks the question, why? He asked the question, says the statement, that to obey is better than sacrifice. But why is obedience better than sacrifice? So let's take a step back if we can. Let's look at the context. And I don't like to do this because I think sometimes we check out, but I need to, we need to lay some foundations because I don't think all of you know the full context of the story. So I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here. And uh, for those of you, I'll catch you up on your Bible reading for the week, uh, in case you haven't had a chance. So, 1 Samuel 13. Let's look at the context. There's a, there's a series of events that take place over us, over these uh, chapters 13, 14, and 15. There are two major things that take place in Saul. We know Saul. Let's back up for a second. Let's find out who Saul is in case you don't know who Saul is. Israel was a nation that was led by judges. We find that throughout, we, in fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Judges that go through different people that were leading Israel. Uh, they were called Judges. Israel had leaders and judges. But to, to, to oversimplify it, there was more to it than just this, but to oversimplify it, Israel wanted to have a king. People of Israel wanted to have a king. So God told Samuel, uh, there's this guy down there. You're going to find him. He's looking for some donkeys. Uh, he's the guy that's going to be king. So, so Samuel finds this guy, Saul, who is out looking for his father's lost don- donkeys. Uh, Saul becomes the anointed king of Israel. And so this is the character here. Saul is the first chosen by God king of Israel. And so uh, we pick up the story not too long after that. First Samuel 13, verse number one. Saul reigned for one year, and when he had reigned Two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 men with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. That was about 20 miles apart, those two areas. The rest of the people he sent away, even every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines in in Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen that camped around Michmash. So get the picture here. Jonathan gets 1,000 guys. Saul gets 2,000 guys. Jonathan leads a raid on these Philistines. Philistines get all worked up because they've been attacked. They gather 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horses. In fact, the Bible says there were so many, it looked like the sands of the seashore in multitude. And notice this. They came upon the encampment of Michmash the east of Bethlehem. in Verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. This verse just stuck out to me when I was reading this story again. Look what happened. Verse six, and seven. Six, 6 says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, they were distressed. They went and hid in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and pits. Then verse 7, watch what happens. And some, everybody say some, some of the Hebrews crossed over Jordan. To the land of Gad and Gilgad. As Saul was still in Gilgal. And the people followed him trembling. Leave that verse 7 up. This is not where we're going today. But I read this and it just jumped out at me, John, for the first time. It's just crazy. They attack the Philistines. The Philistines show up. They've got 30,000 chariots. I can't imagine standing there across the field. 30,000 just, just massive people coming at you. They freak out. They start hiding. They get scared. They let fear start running their life. They start running. They hide in holes. They hide in thickets. They hide wherever they can. But there were some that allowed their fear to have them cross over Jordan. Wait a minute. Let's take it all the way back. The Israelites crossed over Jordan Going this way. God gave them the promised land. But fear calls them to go back from where they came from. When you let fear control your life. You will cross over the thresholds of victory that God has already given. And you will go back to the things that had trapped you the first time. When you let things in your life. Fear and all that stuff start running in your life. You will cross back over Jordan. That's why you see people that God delivers. And they let things and circumstances and stuff in their life. And they'll actually not only just turn their back on God. But they'll actually go back to the stuff they got delivered from the first time. They went back across the land. Now watch this. Now Saul was in Gilgal and he's there for seven days. Verse eight said he was there for seven days verse eight, then he waited for seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come, and the people were scattered from him. so Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, and he might agree with him in verse eleven, I love this Samuel would just Samuel crack me up. Samuel verse eleven says, "What have you?" Done. Notice the picture here. You gotta, I'm going to paint the picture because sometimes it gets lost in Scripture. So let's go back, right? We attack the Philistines, sort of like hitting the beast's nest with a bat. They start getting all worked up. We get scared. They all start doing it. Saul, trying to be the good king, says, Okay, we got to offer God a sacrifice because we got to get this thing together because the people are freaking out. But we got to wait seven days because that's what the prophet says. Seven days comes around, prophet doesn't show up. He's looking around, the people going, "My God, everybody's scared, running around." We got to do something. The Bible says he's going to offer a burnt offering and a peace offering. He gets the first offering offered. Samuel shows up. Paul walks out. Saul walks out to Samuel, and I imagine he was like, "Hey, so good to see you. So like you make it. I mean, look, I already took care of the first one. Here you're a second one." Samuel doesn't even look at that. He says, "What?" Have you done? What have you done? And then from that, Saul said, when I, was, when I saw the people were scattered, and you didn't come within you the time you told me, and the Philistines were gathered together, then I said, The Philistines will not come down to me at Gilgal, and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. Sounds like a good idea, right? What's wrong with that? I mean, I'm just trying to do what's best. And Samuel said to Saul, verse 13, You have done foolishly. You have not com- met the commandment of the Lord, which he had commanded you, for the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Now, your kingdom shall not continue. And this is the verse we read to start with. The Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart. This sets up something that we find in verse Chapter 15, because something's about to happen in chapter 15 that causes Samuel to make the statement that obedience is greater than sacrifice. The foundation of that whole thing was Saul looking around at the people, freaking out, scared. We got this entire Philistine army sitting out there, chariots, swords, glistening in the sun, 6,000 horses ready to charge People are afraid. And he said, before they came to attack us, I knew we had to make offering to God. And I waited till he got here, and then I couldn't wait any longer because the people were scared. And so I thought this was the best thing to do. I was compelled to do this. And Samuel said, this was foolish. Why was it foolish? Sounds like a good idea, right? Why wouldn't he? I mean, he did sort of something that was good. Look, him is right. He's offering, offering. He's offering sacrifice. What's wrong with that? The problem was, is what Samuel gives us the answer to the whole issue. Because this answer sets up the whole premise for the next story. And that is, Saul, if you wouldn't have done this, your kingdom would reigned forever. But because you did this, God will take your kingdom from you. Because, because he looks for someone That is someone after his own heart. So his disobedience and was doing it was not out of his desire to serve God. It was out of his desire to appease the people. It was for his own self, uh, what would be the word, Um, survival. Survival. He did a God thing, but it wasn't to God. It was to save Saul's bacon. And his attitude behind it was, I've got to do this, because if I don't do this, the people are going to think I'm a bad king. The people are going to be scared, and we're going to be wiped off. So I'll do a God thing, but I'm not doing it towards him. I'm doing it to save me. See, that's kind of where we are a little bit sometimes. I'll go to church. But I'm not going to church because I love Jesus. I'm going to church because I just don't want God to strike me down. So I'll give you something, God, to appease you. But God looks at that and goes, it's foolishness. Because you come and you don't serve me with your heart. You serve me just with your actions. Because your actions are not towards me. Your actions are for your own self-preservation. Which proves to me that if my whole desire in living for God is so I just don't end up lost, I'm not going to make it. If my whole basis for living for God is, oh God, just don't let me fry for eternity. I'll give you what you want. I'll offer you some sacrifice. I'll, I'll give you a little bit here and there. But my heart's not really in this. But I'll give you some action because I don't want you to punish me for eternity. Because you know what? He was saying, look, we'll offer sacrifice because the Bible says if we give God sacrifice, He's going to be this and do all this and, and He's going to be the, the covering and all that and Jehovah Jireh and provider and all this kind of stuff. If we can give God what He wants, He'll give us what we want. And he said, no, 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 don't work that way. He said, God's looking for someone who will, who will be after his heart. It's amazing now, if you look at this thing, how much stuff comes back to the heart, folks. It's not by accident, as we made this journey the last six months, that we're, we're now looking in our own life and realize it all comes back to the heart. I'll give you a good one. Total out the subject. Reading through it this week. Hit me again. We preach Acts 2.38. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's awesome. But verse 37 gives me the key to verse 38. And when they were pricked in there. We want to give people Acts 2.38 without Acts 2.37. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I give somebody Acts 2.38 without Acts 2.37, they're not going to buy it. Because it was the heart that triggered Acts 2.38. Woo! Come on, somebody. We've hung our hat on Acts 2.38 because that's the whole thing. But Acts 2.37 cannot... can can Acts 2.38 cannot happen without Acts 2.37 because it started in the heart. And the reason why they were pricked in their heart is because Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, This one that you crucified, that you thought was just a man, this one was the man, Christ Jesus, that came to take away the sins of the world. And when they heard that, they were pricked in their heart. That's why it's not my job to give somebody an X238 without giving them an X237. Who oh, Jesus. And I can't give them an X237 without giving them the gospel. So stop trying to give people Acts 238 share the gospel because it's the gospel that leads to the pricking of the heart And it's the pricking of the heart that leads to an Acts 238 experience That's why no offense if you notice there's been a transition hello And I know I usually don't say this on a Sunday morning, but we're here now. There's been a transition We're not just going to go around beating people on the head with baptism and filling the Holy Ghost Do you not believe that absolutely? It's in the Word of God, but you cannot have an Acts 238 experience unless it starts in your heart It's got to be here. It's got to be a hard thing. And the heart is triggered. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Where is sorrow begin? It begins in the heart. So he looked at Saul and said, here's the issue, man. You did this, but you were foolish. Because you did it. And you did it. Without the heart. I wonder what it would be like if you really seriously took an inventory of all the things you do in your life. In your spiritual category. All the spiritual things that you do throughout your week. And ask yourself, where does the source of these things come from? Because this is a huge deal. It moves into the next chapter, chapter 15, because we pick up the story. God speaks to Saul. He says, I want you to go down and I want you to destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the arch enemy of Israel. They were the first people that attacked Israel when Israel left Egypt. Israel left Egypt. They had crossed over the, the, uh, the Red Sea. They were tired. They are beat. They were just, uh, just a besheveled people. The Amalekites came down and ambushed them. No reason. They weren't even going to mess with the Amalekites. The Amalekites just took them on. And so God sent God sent word to Moses. Moses sent a retaliation to the Amalekites. They, they, uh, they took war to the Amalekites, and God told Moses, listen, you mark these dudes down in your book, and you pass this down from generation to generation. These people are now the enemy of my people. So we get to Saul's, all yeah, right? And Saul is told, I want you to go, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. So Saul said, Okay, here goes Mr. Saul, right? Just a little while after the whole thing with Samuel, Saul grabs his army. Let's go, fellas. He goes down. They besiege the city. They take him out. They attack the city. They win. Slight problem. He starts looking around. He man, look at this stuff. Boy, there's some good-looking sheep here. They got, some, they got some real good sheep. That's some real good goats here. It'd be a shame for all this stuff to go to waste. And oh the king what good would it be to kill the king let's take him back as a trophy so saul decides to spare the king and to spare the trof- the the uh, the the, uh, the sheep so samuel who was a pretty slick fella he shows up to saul he says um, did you do what the lord told you Saul so said, sure, yeah, I did. And this is hilarious. Sometimes the Bible just makes me laugh. Samuel says, What's that sound I hear? What sound? There's no sound. Yeah, it sounds sounds like there's some, some sheep. What, what is that? And Saul goes, Well, okay, yeah. You know, we did what God told us to do, but co- listen, there was a bunch of sheep there. So I decided it was best. We kept those sheep. We'll bring those sheep back to God and offer sacrifice to him for his great victory. Needless to say, Samuel lost it. And Samuel begins to give Saul the dress down from top to bottom. And he begins to absolutely... Rayon Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 20 of chapter 15. This is what the response was. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission in which you, Lord, sent me. And brought back Agag, the king of Amalekite. And have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder and sheep and oxen, the best of the things that should have been destroyed, to sacrifice to God. So Samuel said, has the Lord. Now that's the context. Now we get to the whole thing. He said, has the Lord as a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice and the feed the fat of rams. For rebellion is of sin, of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now here's the problem with this. If you just read that whole story and you look at the context of obedience is better than sacrifice, it seems like an oxymoron because don't forget we were li- living in the time in the temple when they were bringing sacrifice to the temple every day. There were five offerings that happened in the temple every day. These offerings, sin offering, guilt offering, uh, uh, peace offering, burnt offering, all these different offerings were taking place. Sacrifice they was doing. So Samuel wasn't saying do away with sacrifice and only obey. You gotta obey. That was what he was saying. Because here's the point. We find he goes, To obey is better than sacrifice. Because rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. What, what is rebellion at its core? It's an unsubmitted heart. Rebellion at its core is a heart that is unsubmitted to God. Which goes back to the verse 13 where he pointed to Samuel and Saul and said, Here's the issue. God looks for somebody that will serve him and seek him and be a man after his own heart. But here's the point. Several things happen here. When he put it all together... There are several reasons that stick out of why obedience to God is better than making just sacrifices and offerings to Him. Because disobedience is rebellion. Disobedience is sin. Disobedience is idolatry. Disobedience disrespects disrespects God. But here's the bigger picture Saul's desire to sacrifice came out of his desire to be independent from God. Because in this aspect, sacrifice was his attempt to gain independence from God so if I sacrifice to God I'll put him in his debt if I sacrifice to God he owes me something and so sacrifice was a way of Saul buying his own way you know what Saul was trying to do he was appeasing God by thinking he was giving God what he wanted so Saul could do what he wanted It wasn't that sacrifice. We'll get to this in the end here because we find later the Bible talks about us being a sacrifice. It's not that sacrifice is wrong. But the problem is Saul's attitude behind the sacrifice, his attitude in sacrificing was he was going to give God what he wanted because Saul wanted what he wanted. And that's the attitude we have sometimes. God, I'll give you what you want, but you got to give me what I want. God, I'll give you my Sunday, but you got to give me my Monday and my Saturday and my Friday and my Thursday and my Tuesday. God, I'll bring you a sacrifice of Sunday. Oh, I'm tired Sunday. It's such a hard deal. I've been working all week. I'm so tired. Oh, God, look at my sacrifice. I'm here on Sunday. Doesn't that buy me something? You say, well, I'm not like that. Oh, I'll show you how you're like that. Let any kind of stress or distress or trials come in your life. What's the first thing we do? God... What's up with that? I did all this stuff and now you let all this stuff. I thought all this stuff I was doing was buying me like, what's up with that? We we God is our insurance plan. You don't need insurance till you need insurance. Every time you, if, if your job makes you pay a check or whatever it takes out of your bank account, every time you do that every month, if you're healthy, it's like, Man, that's a lot of money. And nowadays it's even more money. It's like every year it gets more money. Like, my God. But the moment you're sick, thank God I put the money in. That's God, right? Because I'm going to give to God my token But the moment something goes in wrong, and God, wait a minute. I've been giving you my Sundays every Sunday. I've been going to Sunday morning. I've been getting there at 9.45. God, not even everybody's there at 9.45. That should buy me something extra. And then I stay at 11. And then I help take down chairs. And then I I even go to small group. And when I'm done that, I get home. I'm tired, God. You got to throw me a break here. Because I'm giving you a sacrifice. So shouldn't that sacrifice buy me something? God, I'll give you what you want as long as you give me what I want. Can I be honest with you? I've tried it, and I haven't found the way. If you found the way, please let me know the secret. I have never found a way to manipulate or out-bargain God. I've never found a way to negotiate with God. He doesn't negotiate. I said this last couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. I'm almost done, but I'll say it again. When you play tug of war with God, who wins? God does not win. That's the big illusion. When you play tug of war with God, God does not win. Do you know who wins when you play tug of war with God? You do. Because the moment you start playing tug of war with God, God quits playing. Oh, I gotta go over this again. I talk about it. I feel this again. Some of you weren't here. You're playing tug of war with God, right? My will. Your will, my will, your will, my will. And God says, I'm not playing this game. He drops the rope. All of a sudden, you feel freedom. You feel release. You go, man. See, I'm right. And that's the moment you walk right into self-deception. Because you've played tug-of-war with God, and God quit playing, and you won. But by winning, you actually lost. So woe be it to the person who's playing tug of war with God today in your spirit. And you're saying, God, you know what? My will, your will. And God finally says, I ain't playing this game no more." And you walk in and go, man, I feel great today. I've had the best week ever. I've got no. Woe be it into that because you may have just lost by winning. God wasn't going to play tug-of-war with Saul over who was going to be the king of Israel. Who sets a king on a throne? It's God and God alone. Whose anointing ran down Saul's forehead It was God's anointing. But when Saul got on the throne, he wanted to be the one playing tug-of-war with God. And God said, I ain't playing this game. Because Saul wanted to do what was best. And he looked at him and he said, Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Why? Because in Paul's in Saul's world, he was trying to sacrifice because that sacrifice was going to gain him independence. But here's the thing. Obedience is the response of someone who is in relationship of trust with God. We trust God. We depend on Him. We are interactive with Him. But He takes the lead. Obedience is better than sacrifice because we are letting God be God. And staying in our submitted place, the place of dependence and surrender to his goodness. Obedience is not mean I just obey. It's like the whole thing is, most people say, well, you need to obey. Well, that's like saying the kid that said to his mom, he said, well, you know what, mom? I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. After his mom said, sit down, he said, no. Son, you're to sit down. No, son, sit down. And finally, he just plopped himself down in the chair. He said, well, I'm just going to let you know. I am sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. That's not the obedience we're talking about. That's self-deception. To obey with the wrong attitude is Rebellion. Because it's not just the action that matters to God. It's the heart of the matter. And 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 Samuel said, here's the issue. If you would have obeyed, it would have showed the fact you were obeying because you had a connection with God. And he was in submission to him. And he was the one in control. But you chose sacrifice because you wanted to appease him. Give God what he wanted without God being in control. I saw this quote the other day. It says this. I know... Why I want my morality to save me. Because if I'm saved by my good works. Then like a taxpayer. I have rights. I've paid into the system. God owes me a good and decent life. And there's a limit to what the father can ask of me. But if I'm saved by grace. Then my life belongs entirely to the father. He owes me nothing. And there's no limit to what he can ask of me. Well I gotta. gotta, You gotta hear that again. If I am saved by my works and my morality, then I'm like a taxpayer because that gives me rights. I paid it in the system and God owes me a good and decent life. And there's a limit to what God can ask of me. But if I'm saved by his grace, then my life belongs to him. He owes me nothing and there's no limit to what he can ask of me. This is a theme that's repeated throughout Scripture. Hosea 6 and 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Mark 12, 33. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let me translate that into 2018 English. It is better to serve God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor, because by all this shall men know you're a disciple, because you have loved one for another, than you to come to every church gathering and never miss a gathering and look as holy as the Amish, but not have any of that junk in your life, because you're not walking around with love for God and love for each other. He said, take all that stuff, because you're sacrificing for nothing. He said, I'd rather you have love for me. Golly, I'm telling you, it's driven me crazy. Some of the meanest, rudest, arrogant most people are the people in church. Forgive me for getting on my soapbox, but i got to get on it for about two seconds. I'm tired of arrogant, prideful people that claim to be believers. Because there's no part of that in the word of God. I don't care how much scripture you know. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care if you can quote Genesis Revelation. If your attitude's not right, you better off throwing all that stuff out. If Your spirit's not right. If you don't have love. He said, I'd rather love, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's more powerful than all the burnt offerings. Is he saying all that doesn't matter? He's saying no. I'm not saying that burnt offerings. We're going to get to it here in just a second. He wasn't saying get rid of the burnt offerings. But if you don't do it with the right attitude and the right spirit and the right heart, it doesn't mean anything to God. Micah 6 verse 7. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body is for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O mortal, what is God. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? What does God require of you today? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Luke eleven forty two 42 says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you have given God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of earth, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Pharisees, you give God your tithe. You give God all the stuff you're supposed to give him, but you neglect because you don't love God. If you don't love God, you don't you love your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love yourself. So the life of sacrifice is a life of demanding my rights and living as I wish, because the life of obedience is a response to God's gracious invitation and has lived in an upward spiral of dependence and intimacy. This is why Jesus didn't say, if you love me, sacrifice for me. He said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to them and make our home with them. This kind of obedience as a response to his divine love is this. It leads to intimacy and dependence. So obedience is better than sacrifice because my obedience comes out of my love for him. But here's the beauty of it. Romans 12 verse 1. Here's where I finish and I'm done with this. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's not that God doesn't want us to have sacrifice in our life. But where does that sacrifice come from, what matters to God? It's my obedience that comes out of my love for him. I love him. Therefore, I want to obey him. And not just obey rules of the church. When I say obey, we think of, okay, tell me the rules, preacher, and I'll follow the rules. That's not what obedience is talking about. It's not, hear ye, hear ye, here's the ten top things you shall not do this week. Don't kill. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you do these top things, you're obeying God. That's not what obedience is because obedience at its core is being submitted to him. I can't obey if I'm not submitted. Oh, I can go through the act of obedience. But it's not true. It's not true obedience unless there's submission. Because problem was, when Saul, Samuel looked at Saul, he said, obedience is greater than sacrifice. And rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. The whole crux of the whole issue with Saul was not his obedience and his sacrifice, it was the fact he was living in rebellion because he wasn't submitted, because God was looking for somebody who would seek him in his own heart. And Romans says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you bring yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable surface. And here's the verse we've been using, verse number two. I love this. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know what that whole verse to me now represents? That is true discipleship, because a disciple, by definition, is a taught and trained one. He said, be renewed from this whole thing by a transformation in your mind. So if my heart is submitted and my mind is transformed, then I will be able to present myself to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, because my obedience in my mind being transformed and my heart being submitted to him, that obedience will transform into me being able to give God the sacrifice that's acceptable and my reasonable service. It's not that we get rid of sacrifice. It's not that we say sacrifice is bad. It's not that we say, obey, 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 obey. It's not my job to stand up here every week and tell you what you're doing wrong and how to correct it. I know some preachers believe that and God bless them. That's their cross to bear. It's not my job to get up here and say, okay, here's what you're doing wrong and here's what you're going to do to fix it. My whole job is to say, you and Jesus have to have this connection here, folks. Because guess what? When you walk out of here today, I'm not going with you. I, gotta, honestly, I don't really want to go with you. I got three kids at home I got to take care of this week. I'm good. I don't want to be your policeman. So you know what? There's going to be a point in time where you've got to start having a connection with him in his heart. Why is obedience greater than sacrifice? Because it's got to start with my heart. God told the king, he said, you've obeyed me. You've done all these things. You've done all that, but your heart's been far from me. Folks, there's no secret to this. I don't know why I'm on this, but I can't get off of it. There's no great mystery to all this stuff. It starts in your heart. It's as simple as that. It's a heart thing. Acts 2.37 tells us they were pricked in their heart. It started in the heart. Jesus said, love The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first and greatest commandment. And the second is like namely this, love your neighbor as yourself. To obey true obedience is to follow the first two and greatest commandments. The first two and greatest commandments is a love for God and love for others. If I obey him, And that's my obedience starts there. My obedience is not starting by getting all the precepts and all the things right in my life. That's not obedience. His two greatest commandments in your life are love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Obedience starts with love. So it doesn't matter how much sacrifice you have in your life. doesn't matter how much you come to church. doesn't matter how much you give an offering. doesn't matter how much time you spend in the week sacrificing your time in prayer. If you don't start with the obedience to the first two commandments, love God and love others, obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice because obedience is about love sacrifice, we're just going to bargain with God. Father, I pray today that your challenge in spirit today, there's so many of us that are trying to make the trip. We're trying to find you in a fresh new way. We don't want to live in our, we don't want to live bound by religion. We don't want to live in the trappings of religion. But God, I pray today through the power of your word, that you would open up our eyes, that you would see that you're calling us to relationship. You're calling us to obedience, but not through the obedience of rules and regulations, but obedience to follow you in love, to love others. And if we love you and love others, then the sacrifices of our life are acceptable and our reasonable service. God, I pray today that those of us that are struggling with our flesh, struggling with our own humanity, God, I pray that you would give us the grace that is necessary that you're, you would operate in our life, that you would work in our life by the power of your spirit. I pray these things, Lord. I loose the power of your love and the revelation of your love to flow in this place. Don't let us fall into the trap of Saul, God, where we just try to appease you and give you what you want so we can do what we want. But God, let it come out of a heart like David did. Let us have a relationship with you like David did where it came from a heart that you can say about us that we are a people after your heart. I pray these things, God, as we leave here this morning, I challenge us in the Holy Ghost through your word, God, that you would speak to us throughout the week, that you would continue to let this word churn in our hearts and spirits that would be able to find you and know you in a greater way. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you just stand one time and just lift your hands to the Lord and just thank him and love him? Just do it. You don't have to do it loud, but just out of your own, own words, your own thoughts. It doesn't have to be a huge emotional thing, but just say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I give my life to you fresh and new today. I thank you, Lord, for challenging me. I thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to love me where I am, but loving me enough not to leave me like I am. Thank you today, Father. Thank you today. We love you, Jesus. I love you today, Father. I love you today, Father. I love you today, Father. I love you today. I give you praise and glory and honor and thanks. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The Lord bless you. Make sure you greet somebody. If you could, just five, two minutes, help us with chairs. Make sure you go to a small group today. Please go to a small group. Take time. Go to a small group. It's an important part of your day. God bless you.